for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Joined today from the class of 97, Jay Sweet. Jason Palladino, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jag, in Detroit, the Detroit Rock City, podcasting at the uh, at the finest levels. We are now at uh, full JPZ Rick Wright mode as we kick this thing off. That's right. Start at the beginning, Jay. How'd you end up at Syracuse? I'm a townie. I was born and raised in Syracuse. Actually, uh, grew up in a little uh, in the little community of Salve, the little village mm-hmm. of Salve, uh, known for its own power company and eating cats. I'm sorry. The rumor is that people in Salve eat cats. You can put that to bed on this podcast, though, right? We can definitely put that to bed on. <laughs> they do not eat cats. So Syracuse University was on your radar out of the womb. It was. I went to Salve High School, graduated in 93, you know, started looking at colleges because I was going to be the first member of my family, my immediate family, to go to college. Okay. And uh, I was going to be also the first immediate member of my family to be a doctor. <laughs> I went to um, Miami, St. John's, Villanova, Penn State, and Syracuse, of course, because of the university hospital right there, mm-hmm. had a great medical program. So I made it into all the other schools, but I turned down Miami uh, because I figured, one, they're Miami. <laughs> Two, if I was going to go to Miami, I would not be getting good grades. I would be spending time on the beach at Coral Gables all the time, and uh, that would not work out for me. So I gladly accepted Syracuse University. You also seem like you, at the time you would have gone on like the Big East tour with those schools you yeah. mentioned. And I'd imagine growing up there it would have been hard to go to a rival school. Absolutely. It was, I mean, my mom was a uh, dyed-in-the-wool Syracuse University fan. Uh, we, of course, picked that up from her. I did stay in the Big East, and I did that on purpose. But I knew uh, if I stayed at home, I could save some money uh, on tuition. So I started there. Uh, I landed there August of uh, t- 19, uh, n- 1993. Wow. Yeah. It's hard to say that. Uh, 30 years. Can you believe that? Well, we're celebrating 50 of the station, so continue. I get to campus. I'm going for an obstetrician-gynecologist uh, pre-med program. Okay. That might be a first for this podcast. You're right. Here I am on this path. I'm going to graduate college. I'm going to be a doctor. Everything's going to be great. My dad was really, really happy. And then I met Kelly Wartman. So much like you, I did uh, DJing in high school as well. And I had Mm -hmm. founded my own company in uh, 1988 uh, at the ripe old age of 12. (laughs) In the high school, I I started doing morning announcements as well. And I did the the weekend dances there through through the key club. Mm -hmm. So I had gotten into this conversation with Kelly. And she said, you know what? You've got to come with me. And she grabs my hand and we go flying down to the Watson Theater Complex, which I not any idea was on the radio. Right. And I walked into this dingy, old world uh, radio station that was held together by duct tape and rubber bands, <laughs> paper clips. Yep. And I'll, I'll tell you what magic was happening. Yeah. And you could feel it right the minute you walked in the door. I was smitten from that moment on. I had gotten bit by the bug and I kind of had... Being in radio on my mind, it was kind of a thing, but it wasn't really an idea of where I wanted to be with my career. Right. In all honesty, what ended up sparking all of this is I'm a musician. My dad is a musician and drilled into my head my whole life. My whole young adult life was 
you're not going to make any money at this. Don't be a musician. Right. Don't do that. So radio, of course, being an amazingly dynamic medium, it continues to allow you to have that exposure into the music world. So this was a natural outlet for me. It was, all right, I'm going to go in. At first I thought, all right, I'm going to go spin records. I'm going to talk over my favorite musicians and, and, and learn new musicians. And as my career progressed, which we could get into later, I met some amazing musicians and became friends with some of them. So it was meant to be. Kelly brought me in. I met Chris Velarde, Christian Quinn, uh, Dion Summers, AC Corrales, Andy Lawrence, Adam Loves, uh, uh, whole bunches of, uh, of, of famous, famous people. Uh, Dan Austin, Jeff Wade, two of my closest friends at the time. We had a great time to be remiss if I didn't call out Governor Redmond. You were class of 97, which means you had that amazing class of 95 right ahead of you, as well as some of your other 97 classmates. It's funny because, you know, sometimes you talk to Syracuse people and they say, oh, I knew when I set foot on the campus, I knew that's where I was meant to be. And, and I never had that. But when I set foot into WJPZ, I had that feeling. And it sounds like you had that feeling walking into the station the first time as well. Absolutely. You immediately realize, well, I did. I'm sure you did as well. As do most people that walk through those doors. It's now with the new studio, I've been back a few times, obviously, for banquet and stuff. And, and you've got beautiful facility up there now. It's only very professional. But when in the early 90s, it was still a, a closet for yeah. the most part that had been repurposed with some electronic gear in it that we kind of pushed buttons and things happened. You could hear audible clicks when you started the uh, the tapes that the A-Track carts that we would talk over. And Oh, yeah. I started on uh, two to four shift yep. and then the four to six, of course. And my, I told my father, uh, you know, look, I don't think I'm going to do medicine. And of course, he was supremely disappointed. <laughs> what happened? You were going to be the savior of the family. You were supposed to bring balance to the force, not destroy it completely. A kid, you know, obviously he, he sat me down and said, look, if this is a hundred percent, what's going to make you happy. And this is what you want. And you understand that you're not going to make any money at this. This was the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, you know what, dad, I'd rather be happy yeah. and go to work doing something that I have a passion for and not make a million dollars a minute and love what I do. If there's enough to keep my car on the road, keep food on my table and a roof over my head, I'm good to go. At that point, I had no design on marriage, no design on kids. I was, you know, I was going to be a lone wolf. This was the path I chose and this is where I was going. So my dad, being my dad, hooked me up with uh, Dave Charles over at WHEN Radio mm -hmm. in 1994. And I had my first job. Wow. I was making six bucks an hour, working overnight at WHEN, running the uh, reruns of the G. Gordon Liddy Show. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. There's a reference. Exactly. And then uh, shortly after that, Dan Palomino um, picked me up as a producer. So I split my overnight on the FM stick over there, 108, Country 108 at the time, which is now Hot 107.9. Yes. But I was Jay Raven on Country 108, WHEN FM. And were you allowed to be a JPZ simultaneously? I was. While I was working that, that four to six shift, all, all things to happen, Jeff Dollar picked me up. He was on the morning show at the time, the Crazy Morning Crew came in and he said, hey, you want to be my producer? Yeah, sure. You know, whatever gets me off the overnights. Uh, so I sat with him for a while. So I was doing uh, at seven o'clock, I would go to WHEN, I would work Palomino uh, Sports Show, Sports Talk. Then I would go over to the FM side at midnight, work midnight to six <sighs> on the country, and then jet myself back to Syracuse University and sit down 
five minutes after the news started and Jeff and I would do the morning show together. And it was a, an insane life. Uh, sleep classes, did they cut factor in there somewhere, Jay? No, that's when I adopted the motto, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, I still was was with uh, Marvin Druger, Professor Druger at, uh, at Syracuse. I was taking chemistry labs. Oh my God. And still, you know, still very much pre-med. I tried to transfer into new house and I didn't get in at the time. So at that point, I had been working at WHN for a little while. And what ended up happening was because of the fact that now it's seven o'clock at night, I'm going in and I'm not leaving that station for 12 hours. And it began to take a toll on, you know, my classwork and my sleep schedule. So on a couple of nights, you know, I would show up late to work because I had overslept. And, you know, the program director at the time, he said, look, we're just going to park company here. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's fine. I understand. But he, he said, you know, I know you got a lot going on with college and everything else. And I said, it would have been fine if, if it worked for the fact that you had me working both the AM and the FM. I'm essentially working full ton of hours a day, right? three or four days a week. So you could barely keep me under that, uh, that part-time status. You know, I, I didn't take that as being fired, you know, to get in the zig, if you will. Right. He had said, we'll just take a pause here and we'll, we'll come back and address this when you feel like you're ready to come back. Okay. In the interim, I had a couple of friends who were working over at uh, WSYR, uh, the uh, New City Cluster at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would call Steve Gelato, the program director at WSYR, every day. <laughs> every day. And I'd get his voicemail and I'd leave a message. Steve, Jay Palladino, just looking to see if there's anything I could do at the station, any kind of jobs I can eat before. You know, if you need me to go run cables, whatever the case may be, you know, I'm looking for a gig. Let's, uh, let's talk. Let's make this happen. I think it was maybe three weeks later, I got a phone call from him and I wasn't home. So he'd left a message on my answer machine. And it went something like this. If I hire you, will you stop calling me? <laughs> there's a lesson in there somewhere, Jay. There's a, there's a lesson to be learned there. Exactly. So I ended up taking that job at WSYR in April of 1995. And I was there for six years. I stayed at WSYR. He hired you to do more than run cables though, right? I was board up. He had me doing the night shift okay. on weekends. I was doing uh, Art Bell coast to coast. Oh, another another reference, right? There were a couple of overnight, like nightside shows that were running. Uh, Jimbo Hannon. 1-800-50-JIMBO. That's right. Great shows. I think it was four or five months later when Cox came in and started talking merger with New City, buyout for New City. Mm-hmm. They brought in... The great Ken Charles. Ah. They brought him in to program the station. And he pulled me up and said, All right, we're going to do a morning show. We're going to rebuild this morning show hmm. with Joe Galuski. Okay. Rest in peace, Joe. So I was working with Tara Howard, also uh, who passed on, uh, Jim Reef, who's still a uh, major in the market. Yep. And Joe Galuski, he built this entire show. And I was kind of there and building the formats and helping to kind of figure out, you know, clocks. And doing all this stuff outside of what JPZ was doing, I'm still a student, barely 19 years old. Yeah. I think it was six months after that or so, I uh, was in the summer. I had gotten a job at the summer camp and uh, I ended up working only weekends at the station. And Ken pulled me into his office. He said, what do I got to do to prevent this from happening again? And I said, uh, I don't know. And he goes, I'm going to make you full time. Ah. Uh, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yes. I was made the senior producer at the station at the age of 20. Wow. And I was making pretty decent money for a 20-year-old. And uh, at that point, 
some things that started happening internally at WJPZ. So, you know, I kind of felt that it was better for me to kind of leave college and focus on my career at that point. If I may ask, was that the format uh, flip to the pulse? It was a little of everything. So the format flip to the pulse created, I'm sure you spoke with Dan and Jeff about this as well. And yeah. I was part of that creative team that helped that flip. And there was a lot of pushback. Yeah. When that happened, you know, the rhythmic format, the CHR format was very inclusive. Right. You know, perceptually, it was very inclusive and it felt like all people had kind of access to it. When we started talking about flipping over to a hard rock pulse format, people started to feel excluded. Right. And that's for history to decide. I, I think we did what we needed to do at the time. And Jeff, Dan, myself, and a few of the others at the station who kind of put this together started talking about this. It's sick or swim time. We were facing a, a real financial problem at yeah. the station. We were not selling as much as we should have. I remember... Shortly before he graduated, Ryan Ranfordsburg was the general manager at the time. And um, he pulled us all into the Watson Theater in a st all staff meeting, emergency staff meeting. And he was really emotional, not to dox him, <laughs> but uh, he, he had gotten really emotional about the fact that we are in over our heads, right. financially speaking, and, and, you know, trying to keep the station, keep the lights on. Yeah. So the pulse was born out of that, mm -hmm. where we kind of thought, look, the urban format is fine, but... This rock format, it's, it's kind of new, and it's something that if we pull the trigger on this and strike while the iron is hot, we could benefit from this. We could absolutely turn this into something that will benefit the station financially. And Dan and Jeff got into that in detail in, in their episode of the podcast as well. But else you look at the way, you know, Top 40 goes in cycles. And in the mid-90s there, the cycle was toward rock. It was away from straight pop and hip hop. It's true. And that was part of why the station wasn't making any money because the music just wasn't there. That's absolutely right. So in 94, our programming director was the great Melanie Cushier, mm -hmm. uh, Lady M. She had foresight into this business that I didn't understand at the time when I'd gotten there as an 18 year old, you know, but boy, did I learn how to respect that real fast. <laughs> uh, her father was in the music industry. She had some real great foresight into, into formats and radio coming from California, uh, which is a completely different universe right. uh, when it comes to music and everything else. So the format change of sorts began with her in a lot of ways. And I, I'm more than willing to give her credit for that. She introduced artists like Cheryl Crow mm -hmm. into the rotation among Notorious B.I.G. <laughs> when I was growing up and listening to Z89 in high school, uh, was power hit Z89. It was more of a direct line against 93Q, which growing up in Syracuse, like Mark Verone had said recently, knowing how Y94FM, 93Q, we were their direct competitor sure. at that time in the early 90s. And it was phenomenal to hear the great voice guys going after them. Like Brian James was an amazing voice uh, voiceover. And again, uh, Brian, rest in peace. But to hear him say things like, here's another song. that with 93, still isn't playing. Oh, that's great. Like, just so good. The imaging was top notch. But tie it back to your point, the music changed. And we went to that rhythmic place in the early, early 90s. And then by the late, early 90s, 95, that music had started to change again. And again, to Melanie's great credit, pulling in artists like uh, Gin Blossoms yeah. and Cheryl Crow and throwing them into the mix with your Craig Max and your Montel Jordans. <laughs> At first, we were kind of like, what is happening here? And then 
when you're young and you don't know anything and you're kind of like, oh, this sounds very strange. But then as 94 moved through into 95, it became very obvious that, yeah, this was working. We got to push a little bit harder. And again, I have gone on record many, many times in my life saying Dan Austin is a genius Hmm. in radio. Agreed. He has a brilliant, beautiful mind about (laughs) formatting and programming and sales and marketing. And he's what I would have originally considered triple threat. Yeah. He did everything in radio and he did it perfectly. Like he's two years younger than me. And I'm, for the most part, I compared my early careers, like I gotta be like this guy. Yeah. He had that presence of mind and he continued right where Melody left off to really approach the small group of us to say, look, we've got to do this, but we got to do this on the down low so that we don't incite a riot. Yeah. And unfortunately, the human condition being what it is, the word got out and there was some pushback uh, that's putting it mildly. And then it became a schism right down the front of the station. And, and I think, unfortunately, 96, 97 was about the time where that really started to make an impact to the staffing. Again, I, I don't want to make this into a huge negative, you know, experience thing. But I think at the time we had a, a bunch of the executive staff just kind of walked out. They posted all their resignations on this little cork board that we had in the, the yeah, front of, yeah, the, uh, yeah. of the building. And I walked in one day and saw paper just coding that cork board. I still feel sadness about that. You know, more than three quarters of our executive staff just kind of was like, peace out. I can't do this anymore. This is, you know, this is too much. So it was right at the time for you because you had this professional opportunity to turn your focus there. Exactly. In 95, 96, uh, I was made the uh, the senior producer of the radio station at WSYR, full blow with the morning show with Joe Belusky. And then I would uh, sit around and board up Dr. Laura Schlesinger and Rush Limbaugh while I was booking guests for the morning show for the next uh, few days. Wow. Yeah, I'm multitasking. Before it was cool. Exactly. And I'll tell you what we get into about JPZ being such a phenomenal media classroom, it's not even so much the stuff that you learn about radio. It's even more so the stuff that you learn about the interpersonal interactions. Yes. So without that experience, I wouldn't have known what it's like. You hear all of us alumni talking about, oh, I would never have been able to figure out how to do more with less. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, with the state of the industry being what it is, that had become the thing to do. Your bosses constantly are telling you, do more with less. So where did your career take you uh, after SYRJ? Six years in, I had figured that I had gone about as far as I needed to go. iHeart, at the time, was Clear Channel. I uh, came in an LMA Cox radio. And what once was a three-station cluster became a six-station cluster. Right. But at the time, I thought, okay, well, where else can I go? So I applied for the programming director position at WSYR at the ripe old age of 21. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? And Joel Delmonico was the, uh, was the general manager and says, you know, you know this stuff, but I think I need you where you are, which was basically him telling me, you're not ready yet. Yeah. In retrospect, of course, I see that. So I said, all right, well, that's fair. But I really am kind of getting frustrated with, you know, where I am and what I'm doing. I kind of wanted to do more. Um, met up with uh, Bill Brigoli. Uh, he was a film critic uh, down at Westwood One in New York City. And just on a whim, I asked him, hey, Bill, get us hired down there. And he said, you know, you need to talk to Beth Robinson. Mm-hmm. She's our vice president of operations. I gave her a call, got her voicemail after a message. 
She called me back within two hours. Wow. And said, yeah, you want to come down here? To New York. That was the quickest I'd ever gotten a job in my life. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, yeah. You went from calling every day from, for three weeks to getting your call back in two hours. In two hours. I'm going to tell you, it was because of a JPZ connection. Okay. Howie Dennerheim ah. was the sports director at Westwood One. And as well, Conrad Troutman was the chief engineer at WSYR, had ended up going down there as the vice president of engineer. Wow. Because of those two connections, I was able to get that phone call back and get that gig real quick. She wanted me to come down and interview, which was amazing. Like, I'm thinking to myself, New York City, are you kidding? Right. I'm not even 24. Like, I couldn't. I mean, you grew up in a town that ate cats, for Christ's sake. Exactly. I went down to New York for the interview, and I walked into broadcast operations at uh, 524 West 57th, and I looked around and I said, yeah, this is it. This is where I'm going to be. This is the pinnacle of my career. I'm working in New York City. Yeah. They hired me on as a production assistant for $24,000 a year. In New York City, yikes. In New York City in 1999. Within six months, I got promoted to operations supervisor. Okay. I was running the night shift, uh, 3 to 11, and I was responsible for 52 channels of network programming and engineering and refeeds uh, for all affiliates, for all CBS affiliates and Westwood affiliates. And all of a sudden, 9-11 happens. Yeah. And, you know, that was a complete shock to the system. And again, I'm going to turn this on a down note, but my cat and I watched the second plane fly into the building with my own eyes, uh, you know, walked out of the building. I was at home and my friend had called me to, you know, make sure, are you okay? Is everything okay? I said, yeah, why well, wouldn't everything be okay? I'm, I'm a little hungover, but. Um, <laughs> on a Tuesday. Yeah, on a Tuesday. Um, so I went out and I could look over the river in Jersey City. I could look across the river and see the World Trade Center from there. And I was sitting there talking to Jody for a while. And then that second plane came around Ugh. and I watched it hit. And I said to her, I'm going to have to call you back. Yeah. I went into my house and started calling everybody I knew in New York. Well, yeah. To make sure that, you know, everybody was good. Um, everybody at work was okay. Uh, one of our producers lost his mom. Oh. Just the scene was an absolute nightmare. And I don't want to get too deep into detail of that because I've, Still suffer from PTSD for that. Sure. I understand. Planes yeah. Planes going overhead, you know. But um, I thought, okay, this isn't good anymore. I need to go home. Sure. I went back to Bath and to Conrad and said, I, I love you both. I'm very grateful for the opportunities here, but I need to not be here. So I was there until February of 2002. Mm-hmm. And in that time, after 9-11, I was helping um, with some of the recoveries efforts. I had run into a friend of mine, uh, Dennis Heathy, who was from Syracuse. Uh, he was a, a metal worker. Some, some of the recovery attempts and being down there and just became overwhelming and too much. And my mom said to me, you need to get out of there. I think I speak for everybody listening when I say thank you for your contributions that I didn't know that about you, that you were part of that recovery effort. That's just wow. What had ended up happening, Jag, was I had just been promoted to operations supervisor that week. Jeez. And my hour shifted so I was off Mondays and Tuesdays. Had I not gotten that promotion, I would have been directly under the World Trade Center on the path tree when it happened. Oh my God. But I made it back to Syracuse. I hooked up with Rick Yakabush, the uh, general sales manager over there, who became ultimately the, uh, the general manager. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, I'll take a sales job. He said, Jay, I've known you for eight years. You'd absolutely be miserable at this. Oh yeah. And I said, all right, but let me try. And he said, no. 
I'm going to do you the favor and I'm not going to hire you. <laughs> in the same week, uh, Ron Lombard at News 10 Now. The 24-hour station in Syracuse, right? That's right. He was the general manager of this startup. And I thought, all right, well, I did radio for now 10 years. Let's go over to the Evil Empire and see what TV is like. Hmm. Never did TV before in my life. But uh, he hired me on as master control. And again, this is where that JPZ experience comes in value. That was my first launch. To be part of a launch project of that scope mm -hmm. was incredible. Watching the station get built from the ground up out of an old abandoned bus station that was a train station. <laughs> the hazmat teams that had to come in and clean out their pigeons and the rat. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. All right. But having uh, been part of that and building that station and learning automation systems and learning how to do 24 hour news, I couldn't have done it again without the JPZ experience, without mm -hmm. having that, you know, all right, this is how you do things on a shoestring operation and building the airplane while you're in the air. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that experience has become invaluable to me because now that I went to Albany, I kept a toe in radio. Um, I worked at WGY for a long time uh, while I was out there running, of all things, Syracuse University basketball game. There you go. And then I left uh, a, a friend uh, who was the news director at News 10, ended up in Orlando and said, I need you. Okay. And I got mirror. And we had two kids. Mm -hmm. And my wife at the time said, I don't like North anymore. Let's go South and not have snow. Yeah, there you go. So we ended up in Orlando for 10 years. And then I was working at uh, uh, News 13, which was... Bright House's uh, sister station to all the, the those 24-hour news channels. Mm -hmm. So when I was working with these great people to become a technical director, okay, you know, that's basically where you switch the news and you, you hit video A, video B, camera one, camera two. And I thought, all right, I'm going to be a director. Okay. I'm going to direct live news. You know, that's what I want to do. And so I applied at uh, the local Fox uh, affiliate in Orlando and I got the gig. Okay. And then I promptly got fired oh. because- I'm not good at it. <laughs> I'm really not. All right. All right. Um, I lasted two years there. I am not a director. I'm terrible at it. And, and that was proven by the fact that for the first time in my career, I got the zig and then ended up, believe it or not, I did sales for about three months okay. in credit cards. I did American Express. Oh, wow. Okay. While I was doing that job, uh, Brennan, my mentor and good friend, Brennan Palco, reached out from New York. And said, they're looking for an operations supervisor, got an interview. I got hired in two weeks. Okay. And I was told my wife broke down and my wife said, this is what we're going to do. And she said, oh, I'm going to go back up north and we're going to New York. And I'm thinking, New York, I was 25 and it was great to live there and everything was moving and it, it's, it's just so great. We're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And forgotten that after 9-11, everything in New York changed. Yeah. It became way more expensive to live there. And by this point, I have five kids. So we took a house, a big house out in New Jersey, and I worked in New York for five years. And then I had this opportunity in Atlanta to be part of the startup launch project for uh, Valley Sports Network through Sinclair Media. Mm -hmm. And I work for Encompass Digital Media, which is a customer service hub that they do operation hubs for you know, multiple uh, networks. And Boy, I could not turn down that opportunity to be part of another launch project. They hired me on as a manager and I've been here since 2020 and it has been amazing. It's challenging. This is what I figured out is 
I wasn't very good as a DJ and not so much because of, I have the voice. It's just that, um, <laughs> like you get older and the pop music doesn't cool its appeal anymore. I somehow stayed in top 40 until I was 36 years old and I haven't listened to it since. And now I listen because I'll have kids. Right. And they listen to that stuff and I'm like, what is this garbage? It's too loud. Get off my lawn. I learned that my place is behind the camera doing the operations, setting up the operation. Full disclosure, we've added this segment into the podcast at this point because this is the point where Jay talks about how happy he is in Atlanta and how he's had this amazing gig and is never going anywhere. Yet, in the time since we've recorded the podcast, he's getting a new gig and it is a gig that he found because of the WJPZ50 podcast. I'll let you tell the story. It's unbelievable. Let me start off by saying, Atlanta is a fantastic city, and I do love the gig that I currently hold. What I'm about to tell you next is the most unbelievable story of all time, <laughs> possibly. And Jag is going to need a, at least a 10% finder's fee for this, too. So I was listening to WJPC at 50. John Farrakhani came on, was, uh, I, I believe, a friend of yours. And uh, yep. now my, not only my boss, but a friend of mine. He was looking for people for News Nation, which sounded like a similar situation that I was in. Knowing that I, as a manager of operations, interview people on the daily for master control positions. Now, what I thought was I would reach out to John and tell him, you know, hey, look, I screen people for positions every day. And if I find anybody who's worth their salt, they'll open up a pipeline and you and you and I can get people up to Chicago who are good people. It'll they'll serve you well. Great. Yeah. Uh, he says, great. Send me your resume. Hold on. What? <laughs> All right. Sure. Why not? And next thing I know, I'm on the phone with the chief engineer at WGN in Chicago, having a 20 minute phone call about my experience, my uh, skill set. And then he's throwing out questions like, what kind of numbers do you need to come up to Chicago? And I said, hold on. My, my wife is not going to go for this. She's not northern anymore. You're not taking her out of the south back to the north again. We talked about that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So I threw out like a, a low ball number. So he goes. Right. Okay. We'll be in touch. So, all right, well, that was it. I, I priced myself out of the gig, right? So I went and talked to my wife about it and she says, well, if they're talking about giving you more money, you can go and we'll stay here in Atlanta. She said that to you? Yeah. Wow. So I thought, well, okay. Well, the next email I get was from John and he said, all right, I need you to get in touch with Mark Bluestone, who's the executive director of operations. And uh, I'm going to have him reach out to you. We really need an operations manager and you might be it. <laughs> and this is starting to happen now within a week. I remember getting some some frantic uh, Facebook messages from you at this time, I believe. Yeah, yeah. right, right. I'm like, well, what have we done? And so Mark reaches out and we have a great conversation. As it turns out, Mark used to run Encompass, which is where I work now. So now I've got two connections up there. Mm -hmm. You know, after that conversation went downstairs, had a follow up conversation with my wife saying, I think they're talking about doubling my salary. And she wow. said, wow. Okay, that's kind of crazy. It sounds a little too good to be true. And God bless your amazing patient wife, Tammy, for dealing with all these cross-country moves. And now you're walking them saying they might double my salary. Did she say, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out? Or <laughs> Pretty much at that point. <laughs> the next thing that Mark said was, we need to get you on a plane and uh, we need to fly you up. That was on a Thursday. Keep saying to myself, I don't belong here. Like, this isn't, 
I'm not supposed to be here today. What is happening? So you had told me this part offline. A week goes by. They check your references. You're having a busy night at work. Your phone rings and it's a Chicago number. And I was like, I better take this. So I pick up the phone and Mark Bluestone's on the other side. He says, I have a problem. I'm thinking he, the paperwork gets gummed up or whatever. Uh, I said, how can I help? What do you need? And he said, what I need is for you to quit your job at Encompass and come work for me. Wow. And I said, okay. Well, uh, it's the only thing I can think of to get out of my mouth at that point. <laughs> I mean, at that point, like I'm double plussing. I don't say that to humble brag. It's a point that I wanted to make about knowing your value, right? And this is something that WJPZ taught me as well. We've been told for so far so long, right, Jack, that you're lucky to have a job. Yeah. Your skill set doesn't necessarily apply to other parts of the workforce. So, you know, you're lucky to be employed and it's how they keep your salaries low. So to find somebody, again, within a week to be able to recognize, hey, look, you're bringing a lot to the table and this is what we feel that you're worth. That felt amazing to me. It's an amazing story. I'm so glad that this podcast has turned into a gig for somebody. Knowing our group, I'm sure it's going to happen again. And that segues perfectly what you just said into the rest of our podcast that we're going to go back to now where you talk about what you learned from JPZ. Congratulations on the new gig, Jay. Thanks, Jack. Checks in the mail, man. <laughs> without having the experience of being a DJ at Z89, without being the morning show executive producer and eventual host of the morning show at Z89, being an assistant engineering director, being the assistant music director, uh, these were all opportunities that I had. And it was when I was the assistant music director in, in serving in that role where I was making things happen behind the scenes, where I felt most comfortable and that I felt most like I was making an impact. Yeah. So I really, really am grateful for my time at JPZ and for the people that I met there. You know, the front part of my career was learning how not to do things. Yeah. Yeah. That's true of many of us. For good or for bad, you know, you, you walk into Z89 and, and it's like, all right, we're making this work, but I don't ever want to do it this way again. Jay, before we wrap up, give me a funny story from your time at the radio station. I think it was Dion, Neon Dion's senior year, about to graduate. Jeff Dollar, myself, on the air of the morning show, and Adam Love, who was in on it as well, called Dion. And Jeff says to him, I'm so-and-so from the bursar's office. Oh, no. And you had a balance on your account, and we've had to go ahead and deregister you for all your classes until you can get the account settled. <sighs> and then, uh, you know, he was like, what, what account, Dion, we'd woken him up. Oh yeah, that's, you have the element of surprise on your side at that point. We'd woken him up, he's at home, not even in Syracuse. What are you talking about, what account, what, what, what balance? And Jeff says, uh, it's $89.10 <laughs> on, on your cable bill. <laughs> because of that, we've had to go ahead and deregister you for all your classes. Dion's freaking out. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, well, will I be able to just get back into those classes? And, and Jeff says, well, so if you pay that bill today, yeah, we can go ahead and allow you to re-register. Now, that's not a guarantee that you're going to be able to get into all those classes because, you know, now it's like three days before we're supposed to make it back to campus. Oh, my God. And he's like, I don't understand how this happened. Dion's going up. I don't understand how this happened. And then how you deregister me from all my classes and I need these classes to graduate. And Jeff said, look, all I can tell you, sir, is that you owe us $89.10. 89.1. And then there's a pause. And then I hear Dion say, this is Jeff. And then we all <laughs> lost it. And that went to air and we had a great time with it. Those were the days. 
I, I'm picturing that, and again, at the time of this recording, it hasn't released yet, but the episode with Dion was highly entertaining because he's just such a rock star at everything he does. Absolutely. I'm picturing this knowing Dion and, and how amazing he is at everything, and it's really amusing me even more the more I picture it in my mind's eye. Jay Palladino, Jay Sweet, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and telling us some really compelling stories. And I'm so glad JPZ's had such an impact on you and appreciate you being here with us today. Thanks for having me, Jack, and thanks for doing this. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.